These beings were seldom glimpsed, but evidences of their presence were reported by those who had ventured farther than usual up the slopes of certain mountains or into certain deep, steep-sided gorges that even the wolves shunned. Just like some of us have come to shun some filmmakers for what they've done to the work of H.P. Lovecraft, allow the cast of Cthulhu to be your guide through the world of cinematic Lovecraft adaptations from the superb to the truly cosmically horrific. I'm Jim Rohner. And I'm James McCormick. And today we'll be reviewing 2011's The Whisperer in Darkness, written by Sean Branny and Andrew Lehman, and directed by Sean Branny. Um, and we are, as we have announced at the end of November, we're doing this one and The Call of Cthulhu in December. Why are we starting with the most recent one first? We'll get to that, but you have to stick around to the end of the episode. So we're bribing you into listening all the way. Um, and if you're anything like me, you don't do that very often. Should I feel bad about it? I don't listen to podcasts until the very end. Um, I, I, don't, I, I don't think you should feel bad. As long as you're downloading it, I don't think people give a shit. <laughs> you know? But, yeah. but, but I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like the nerd that, like, I'll listen to the very end because sometimes there's something extra. But usually there's nothing extra at the end of a podcast episode. Yeah, and it is normally the, you know, contact information and that kind of stuff, which I know people don't, you know... Which I I remember, I think it was when Rudy was doing his podcast with uh, West Anthony that they started doing all the email and contact information stuff at the top of the show, so people didn't have to listen to the very end. Right. Which. But then, but then my worry would be they would just fast forward the beginning. <laughs> yeah, no, there's there's also that I suppose. Um, what about ads? You know, like like this ads everywhere on on podcasts because you know we you know a lot of podcasts that's their business you mm -hmm. know yeah and i fast forward through those you know like i i fat i do fast forward through ads but i i'll even you know what and this is probably something i shouldn't be admitting as someone who does not one but two podcasts i sometimes i'll even especially if it's like a long one like a two-hour episode like i'm i'm thinking specifically you ever listen to blank check no, I've never have. I've okay. heard of it. But yeah, I've so never yeah, blank check is a lot of fun because what they basically do is the premise is they'll take a filmmaker and work through their entire catalog starting at the beginning because it's the idea that a, a you know a filmmaker had early success and they basically had a blank check to do whatever they wanted to the end. Um, and they're currently going through uh, Robert Zemeckis episode that came out I think today was on Beowulf, which I'm fascinated to listen to because that movie is bad. Yes, it is. Um, and their episode on the Polar Express was amazing. Uh, but they, they have long episodes because they bring in guests and they, they talk a lot about it. It's a, and, and so sometimes they'll go two, two and a half hours. And so sometimes I'll, you know, listen if, I, and if I have to stop because I've gotten off the subway or I've reached a natural break and then I have like 20, 30 minutes left, I just won't finish it. Cause like, oh, you know, I got the gist of it kind of a thing. I have a lot of, a lot of podcasts like that. I'll have, I'll look, go, wait, did I finish that? <laughs> yeah. And then like, I'll have like six, like of the same podcast. 27 minutes left, 32 mm. minutes left, like 18 minutes left. And then I'm like, but if I go back into it, like it's, it's awkward because it's almost like if you have a conversation with someone and like, oh, hold on a second. Then you like walk away he and, and you walk away for like two hours. Mm -hmm. Then it's to come back to that conversation. It's like, how do you do that? Like, it's like, <laughs> what, wait, wait, what were we talking about? Yeah. Well, you know, and you're like, oh. I'm jarred. So sometimes I'll have to, like, depending on the show, I'll, I'll actually listen to the whole episode again. Yeah, okay. I've, you know? done, I've done that. Mm -hmm. 
I fall asleep to shows now because of my schedule. Like I'll be on the bus, I'll be listening to something, and like I'll <laughs> fall asleep for like forty minutes and like wake up like oh I got to get off the bus <laughs> and I'm like wait and then there's still voices in my head like talking and I'm like it just seems like I'm in a Lovecraft story <laughs> you know whispering to me. Have you, you ever know? have you ever woken up on the bus and everything was blue? Um, no, luckily, <laughs> luckily I, I didn't have to go through what crazy Sam Neill has to go through. <laughs> okay. If that happens, if, if something actually funny enough, there's been times when I'll listen to a podcast and they'll say something mm-hmm. and it'll be like something I'll see something weird. <laughs> like it just happenstance. Like, like they'll be talking about something like, you know, a sandwich or something. And then like, I'll look over and I'll see some with a hero. I'm like, whoa, whoa. Well, the, like, that's because Sutter Kane has written your life, James. Is what, so it's yeah, yeah. He he. It's it's a very mundane life. It's not as exciting. So it's like, oh, you see a, <laughs> you see a bum in the middle of the street, um, having you know waving his dick around like like a windmill while pissing. <laughs> Thanks, Sutter Kane. I yeah. really wanted you to write that. Like, yeah, you're think... really slumming right now. <laughs> yeah, to think that this. Um, um, omniscient and omnipowerful like creator and, and what he does right? with your life is just to write the most banal and mildly inconveniencing things into your story uh is is a kind of god i can understand uh i, I won't say Same. i like but you know i can like uh, no I, I get that um yeah, yeah. anyway we we've been going for about five minutes we haven't even touched on the film or the story yet um i'll be honest the Whisper in Darkness as a story um, was always one that I, I know I've read a couple times, but it always got lost. I'd be like, okay, The Whisper in Darkness, how is that different from The Haunter of the Dark or The Thing on the Doorstep or the the noun, you know, in the other noun thing? You know, it's it's like there, there's, especially in his later career, they they the titles of the list kind of seem interchangeable. So I'm like, I know I've read this, but I could never remember what it was. Right, right. And, I can understand that. Yeah. Yeah, and so, but now rereading it again in preparation for this movie is like, no, I, I, I really like this story, um, and I really also like what uh, Branny and Lehman did with the movie adaptation. And so we'll get to that after, of mm-hmm. course, I give you a little bit of background on the Whisper in Darkness, uh, which was begun in February 1930, but not finished until September of that year. And it wasn't published until August 1931 in Weird Tales, his kind of go-to for publishing his stories. It earned him $350, which you might think, well, that's not a whole lot, until you think that was 1931 money, which would equate to, I was amazed, I had to double-check this, it would equate to today $5,586.89. So just, just imagine writing a short story and selling it to a magazine, which is unheard of these days, and getting $5,500 for it at one time. It's a, it was the largest sum he would ever receive for a story. Um, and, uh, yeah, if, if only, if only all of us were so fortunate in our, in our, uh, our writing ventures. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's the dream. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I, I think this is really cool because there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, uh, not influences because it's his own stuff, but references to mm-hmm. other Cthulhu mythos stuff in here, even though it's not kindly, commonly thought of as one which fits into what we consider the canon of the Cthulhu, mytho- Cthulhu mythos. But he also brings in references and inspiration from other people's stories, which is kind of cool and how you can kind of see it lays the groundwork for what other authors would do 
uh, posthumously with him is sort of build on this network of his deities and his creatures. Um, the most famous of which would probably be their references to the King in Yellow in the story and uh, Carcosa, which some of you maybe only know that from True Detective. And if, if that's the <coughs> case, cool, because that was also my entryway into it. Um, it's, a, it's one of the earliest literary influences or, or instances of this idea of kind of a disconnected brain in a jar being able to talk to, you know, which is was, uh, James, correct me if I'm wrong, kind of a big thing mm-hmm. in, like, 1950s sci-fi movies. Oh, big time. Like, I mean, hell, you have, like, they saved Hitler's brain. <laughs> you know, uh, you have all these, like, brain movies, like, and, you know, seeing it, like, even seeing in the film version, like, like the style of the 30s, but to think that, like, Lovecraft, you know, thought of like that as something that could be the best thing ever but also the worst thing ever (laughs) depending on who has the power is to me like i was just like amazed and also like tickled by it like going like oh okay cool i wonder how many of these sci-fi you know filmmakers saw or read the story you know read the story and went that's a good idea We'll yeah. take that, but we won't credit Lovecraft like everybody else did back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or, or even someone who, who who read or saw someone that then in turn read or saw this from Lovecraft. And just that chain of like, you might read this and be like, well, I've heard, I've seen this dozens of times before. Like, But yes, but you didn't in August 1931, right. uh, basically, is how it goes. And and it's this story is interesting because it's... I, I won't say this was a this is would be a good gateway for people to kind of like well where should I begin with Lovecraft because this one is sort of I like it a lot but it's also anomalous because it's there's a lot more sci-fi stuff in it than there is necessarily the eldritch horror or the the grand you know the, the kind of grandiose dread sort of thing this one has a lot more there's aliens that you know that fly through outer space and there's um, you know, separate conscious or, or consciousness kind of communicating beyond physical form, and this idea of, um, yeah, interstellar travel, and and even and grounded even in the discovery of Pluto, the very real discovery of Pluto yes. at the time that he worked in here as this planet Yagoth, like that exists, and and just think about it, like, you know, Pluto was the last planet that we've discovered. I can't remember, have they ruled it out? Is it no longer a planet? Is it a moon? It's supposed- yeah, oh, it's a moon or something, or it's like some, it's not a, I don't think it's a planet. So that actually kind of makes it even more interesting that like, oh, it's not a planet. What is it? It's a It's a moon, it's a satellite, whatever they want to call it. I, like, I forgot what term they use, but it, yeah, it's cool that he used this like real life event that, yeah. Yeah, oh, it, that's it. Mm-hmm. It's It's been discovered. Uh-huh. Yeah, no. That's what they want. That's I, what they want you to see. No, and especially because, like, in the 1920s and 1930s, how there was still so much we didn't know about oh, yeah. the universe, even about our own world, and just think, like, hey, there's this new planet that's been discovered. What are the possibilities of that? And he's like, you know what? Putting that in my story. And the possibilities are the Mego, <laughs> these weird winged insect-like creatures that can also talk but also are advanced enough to... Yeah, remove the brain from people and allow it to continue a consciousness. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting concept. Like yeah, like insect crab beings from <laughs> space, and they like, but like they hotwired their own bodies. <laughs> yeah, in order to travel, which I think also is like a really cool concept of like flesh meeting robotics, mm-hmm. which is also something like sci-fi has done many times. Like. Hell, even, like, you know, you have, like, you know, James Cameron, like, The Terminator, like, mm-hmm. stuff like that. 
or you know, well, technically Harl Ellison wrote this, the original story, so we should give him the credit. He'll he'll sue us from beyond the grave to give Cameron <laughs> any credit. Um, but I mean, like stuff like that, like, and I agree with you, like this is more of like the sci-fi horror bent, like you know. But I still feel like, and especially in the film version, where there's, while it is the brain in jars, these alien race, this you know, like other you know, like stuff. There's also what I love about a good Lovecraft adaptation, and this is one of them. Mm-mm. And it, you know, and that's what's it's good to say that you know people that actually know what they're doing. <laughs> While we have the sci-fi crazy bent horror stuff, you also have the creepy, mm-hmm. foreboding building of tension. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's done really well repeatedly in this movie. And, yeah. like, my girlfriend actually sat and watched, like, maybe, like, a good 40 minutes of the movie with me, like, before she had to go to work. And mm-hmm. even she, like, she was, like, loving especially, like, the scenes with, um, with quote-unquote, Akeley yes mm-hmm. laughing <laughs> and she knows you know she didn't even have to watch anything else and she knows you know something up with him yep, yep you know what i mean and of course we know that as an audience we mm-hmm. know that yeah but it's it's what's 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 good about a film when they do it well is yeah we all know it's something mm-hmm. but the main character while he's a good person and wants to know the truth and wants to f- discover and wants to help even he's a little like something's off even from the letter <laughs> yeah and then when he sees him he's like okay this is kind of weird and then when the reveal happens it's still a horrifying frightening thought and you're like that's awesome and same thing with the to me my, one of my favorite scenes is early on is the car ride with nice oh yeah yeah mm-hmm. and how that just little things that are said and like even before the car ride begins like get in the car <laughs> like, like, oh, like, I don't bite. Get in the car. You're like, you, and I joked to my girlfriend, I'm like, usually when someone says, I don't bite, go, you know, do something, they would bite you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just well done. And like, and that's the thing, like things like that and just little subtle things of like looking, you know, listening through a doorway and hearing voices, you know, or looking through a keyhole or looking down the stairs and seeing the shadow of one of these creatures and your, and your head. And, you know, ultimately we see what they look like. And, you know, I, I have to commend, it's hard to describe, you know, to create something that we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it's done, you know, even though it's not done the way they would have done it in the thirties, mm-hmm. you know, they do a good job. Like, I mean, of course, in my head, like, I had wished for, like, crazy stop-motion <laughs> animated, but that's a lot of crazy work to do. And, yeah. like, <laughs> cons- considering that and considering, like, you know, this looks better than a lot of, a lot of, like, sci-fi CGI type of stuff. Like, like especially, like, when they come to the close-up and, like, it's, like, talking <laughs> and you're like, it doesn't look that bad like i it, it like not offensive at all yeah 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 um I, i'd be remiss of course if i didn't also mention like andrew lehman and sean Brandy, of course are involved in the hp lovecraft historical society um if you are a, a fan of lovecraft you owe yourself a favor or you owe it to yourself to um like them on facebook and get involved with that page a lot of 
a lot of fans sharing a whole bunch of stuff, um, opinions as to, you know, what are the best Lovecraftian films, or is this thing Lovecraftian, or even uh, funny Lovecraft-inspired memes. It's just, it's a fun little community to kind of be a part of, and that's that's where we met um, Thomas Campbell and Gav Chucky Steele, uh, friends of the show, so that's, uh, so that's a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, this is their second, the HPL uh, Historical Society, this is their second... I don't necessarily want to call it feature because the Call of Cthulhu was their first. It's only forty-seven minutes long, um, but this is their their second kind of big production or, or cinematic yeah. Lovecraft adaptation. They've done uh, other stuff when it comes to uh, radio dramas and music and that kind of stuff, which James is a lot more familiar with than I am. And by a lot more familiar with, I mean I am not familiar with it in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> um, but in, in this one, it, it seems like they had a bit more budget and they use it and. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk a little bit, or a lot of bit, I, I should say, about um, how they adapted the story and, and kind of made it better. But one thing I, I want to focus on first is I just imagine, like, making all these devices and props, like, it had to be so much fun. Oh, yeah, especially, like, even, like, when you're in the at Miskatonic University and you're just seeing the... Even the, as the funniest thing with like the picture, like from with like thanks for the ride, you know Houdini, <laughs> yeah. you know little things like that, and like the skulls and like the cool like talismans and stuff, and you're like, this is awesome. Like like you, you could tell they like a lot of fun just like creating these things that were in the text. Yeah, and in, and, in the way they could, you know. Well, and and how to utilize their imagination, but also. Um, not within the confines of like, okay, what would this technology, what would it look like? Because it's, it's obviously it's the 1930s, but also, Mm -hmm. um, just, just kind of playing with it and sort of like, well, this doesn't look like what a real machine would look like. Like, well, yeah, no shit. Because it's, it's kind of, it's, there's a little bit of steampunk inspiration in there, but just this idea of, um, you know, they, they very much crafted this film and was inspired by you know universal horror movies like the 1930s dracula and frankenstein and that kind of stuff and a lot of these devices you see like you know the glasses that he he puts on to kind of see in between the vibrations of the picture Mm. or even the 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 little device that they use to talk to the consciousness with a little binocular eyes moving around like you would see those in i think like 1950s sci-fi movies and they don't feel out of place they feel very much within this universe and it just it had to be so much fun to kind of brainstorm these things yeah that stuff like that makes me happy like just like the ideas to go okay what what would you see in a film at this time but the thing is i wouldn't mind seeing that in a film now you know what i mean like like Hmm. like if you made a film like oh okay it's back in the 30s or the 40s or the 50s and like what kind of tech would they have to use you know (laughs) like this alien race you know like okay, well, we have our own stuff, but we also have to use stuff that's on Earth. Mm-hmm. So we have to kind of, like, wire it to work the best it can in this environment. And I love that. Like, I love the concept of them just trying to come up with whatever they could to be able to speak through a brain, you know, <laughs> yeah. like in a jar. You mm-hmm. know, like, how do I speak? Okay, well, you have to plug this in, plug that in, plug this in, and then boom. Boom. You, you know, we have our director, <laughs> you know. It's also a lot of fun that they somehow got their hands on, like, a biplane from the 1930s oh. and then shot, like, a chase sequence with it. Right, yeah, like that. And, like, like I mean, I'm, I'm impressed with all the stuff they, like, were able to get, like, to make it feel mm-hmm. 
in that like the, the classic Rolls Royce that um, nice drives, and yeah. you're like, mm-hmm. wow, they're like okay, this is like you know driving on the right side, you know, like like that's <laughs> something you'd see, and like I'm like, wow, this is like why is this? Well, I mean, I know why, but also like you know for a low budget film like this is better looking and like just just better made mm-hmm. than so many other quote-unquote like Lovecraft adaptations or Lovecraft you know like where you this, this is a film that like jokingly the, and you know same with Call of Cthulhu like you gives you hope that <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. the right filmmakers the right minds behind it like and and, that, and and it's not just the writer and director it has to be everybody it mm-hmm. has to be on board like the actors have to be on their game and like that's the other thing with this movie like while like everything else works the acting is really good mm-hmm. you're convinced yeah, these people like it's almost to the point where you're convinced these people are from that time. Mm-hmm. These actors like there's certain they have those faces that is lost in like film and TV today. Like you look at them, you go, well, that's like like a class like a, that's an actor you would see like in 20 other films in the same year mm-hmm. playing different roles because they were under contract with Universal or MGM. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Like I, it almost feels like they picked these people because of that but i know some of them like were in like six years prior mm-hmm. called cthulhu and like in other adaptations and it just i don't know it just it almost feels like this troupe like you know that mm-hmm. like they do like these plays you know like and every year they'll put on something different and it it's that um you know family of creative forces that make a film like this work yeah and in, in you I like the term troop because I have to imagine to an extent that's sort of what the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society is like. Is as you said, a lot of the people who are involved in this. I mean, Sean Branny and Andrew Lehman wrote this one. Um, they and they both like produced it. They also both wrote and directed and produced. Well, Le- Lehman directed Call of Cthulhu, but they produced that one. Um, if you ever listen to the um, uh, the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast, co-hosted by. Um, uh, Chris Lackey and Chad Pfeiffer, um, they are both involved in this film as well and in the last film as producers and also I believe Chris Lackey contributed to the score in Call of Cthulhu. Matt Foyer, who plays Albert Wilmarth, who's a lead, which, relating to what you said, he's got a face and expressions that fit like silent film. Like, if, yeah. if there was no dialogue in this movie, you'd like oh. you'd know his moods because of how expressive his face is. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it also helps he's got a cool voice. He does some readings for the the same podcast as well so he's got a good voice for for radio like Lehman does um but Matt Foyer was also in Call of Cthulhu so that yeah it's all kind of like it seems like it's a very collaborative environment that people who care about the source material and want to be um want to be faithful to it the Call of Cthulhu adaptation we'll we'll talk about that next time is probably the most faithful adaptation you'll ever see um this one is not but they make change in such a way where it makes sense for not just what exists on the page, but also what story they're trying to tell, and in a way, how they make it even even darker. Like uh, th- this, this strikes me as the kind of thing where, like Stephen King watching the Mist and be like, "Ah, oh, man, that yeah, the ending was better than the one that I came up with." <laughs> yeah, and 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 to me, any good Lovecraft adaptation or Lovecraftian film, mind you, when they have like that dark ending where you're like, "Oh, okay, there is no hope." <laughs> like no matter what happens, you're you're you know we're screwed or the the you know the quote unquote unre- unreliable narrator 
is screwed in some way and <laughs> mm-hmm. and like any of the, and it, you know you think about it any of the really good adaptations or stories and stuff usually the movies that have like the really dark endings tend to be the better ones like that mm-hmm. you're like oh yeah like you know i'm trying to go through all in my head like hell you look at you know carpenter's trilogy mm-hmm. all have dark endings there's yep. no hope no matter what there there is the apocalypse okay <laughs> thank you and then you look at like you know color out of space like there's no hope like, yep. It's going to continue, you know, no matter what. And and it's one thing to have a dark ending, but it, like it also has to be organic or feel natural, you know, like earned. It has to be earned. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, yeah. Seven is a movie that certainly earns uh, oh. its its ending. And in in this one, yeah, which is is, I guess we can get right into it when it comes to the big changes because the mm-hmm. the story is is great, I think. Um, but its structure, you could, I could understand how if you look at this and be like, how how can someone adapt this? Because it's mostly just one guy recalling recollections of someone else. And, right. you know, it's only halfway through the short story that he's finally like, well, I, I guess I better go up to Virginia, or Vermont, excuse me, and meet this guy. And so it's halfway through until it's finally like, okay, who is this Ackley guy? What's his story? When it comes to... Um, clashes or battles uh, you know that happen with these migos and what's going on so i'm like we there's there's no perspective from our narrator it's like he's just telling you what he's been told and right. so i think it's very smart for this film to kind of start out introducing you to who wilmarth is what his beliefs are and that he has already been corresponding with akeley and like his travel up to vermont that's the inciting incident 15 20 30 minutes and it's like okay we're heading up there and i remember thinking like man we've got like an over an hour left how are they going to spend the time with this and well the way that they're doing it is by building tension by planting those seeds of like yeah this noise guy is really weird like there's something off about him and um yeah what the hell is the deal with Akeley who we'd heard so much about and now he just kind of seems to be this infirmed bandage guy who speaks a little weird and like what's going on yeah there's like this reverb in his voice Mm -hmm. even my, my girlfriend's my girlfriend was like why why is he speaking like that um, i like i'm like yeah i think it's something with like you know she's like no no she's like that's really cr- like well done like i'm like yeah like because it's like why is he speaking like that and of course we as you know mm-hmm. film goers we know either he's been changed or he's actually one of the amigos you know in disguise which is kind of crazy to think like this these creatures can you know Get the best prosthetic, you know what I mean? Like, they have mm. the perfect... It's actually... And and that's another, like, huge, huge impressive thing. The prosthetic face... Yeah. ...is so well done. Because, like, you know, how many times have I seen, like, something look so, like, bad? Like, doesn't look like the person at all. Which is fine. I love that. Like, when it's like, that doesn't look like the guy that just got beheaded. Nope. You know, when the head's rolling down a hill and you, and you <laughs> see the face and you're like, that doesn't look like him at all. That... Why is that like like a Spanish person? The guy that died was a black person, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. What? But this like the reveal and like I love that concept that <laughs> the whole time it's one of these alien insect crab creatures pretending to be human and like having to and that's what's great about it, like when he mentions his son, he's like George. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he has to think who was he talking about? Oh yes, George. Yeah. And right away, you're like, oh my god, this is—he's like either it's not he's been taken over or it's just not him. It's it's the 
it's uh, <laughs> the cockroach in the Edgar suit from Men in Black, but not played humorously, you know? No, like, no. It's in... funny, because ultimately what also a good Lovecraft adaptation does, you throw in some dark humor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's that little twinge of like, should I laugh at this? Yeah. Like, is this funny? Yes, it is funny, because it's also horrifying what it actually is. <laughs> Well, in in the, the that sequence where Wilmarth is outside and he sees through mm-hmm. the window, but it's it just like the the shade is pulled down, so you see the shadow of them pulling off the fake hands, and just like, what the hell is going on right. here? Um, yeah. And, and and one of the things that I love about the changes they made to this was that the reveal is sort of that's the culmination in the story. It's like, it was never Wakely the whole time, which was like, well, yeah, no shit, I could have told you that. (laughs) You've been laying the groundwork for that, you know, by saying like, oh, his letters changed and his speaking is different. Right, he types now. He doesn't write anymore. Yeah, yeah, and and I I know that's one of the critiques of the story, at least when it came out, was like, well, the ending is predictable. And like, yeah, it it pretty much is. But my critique would go further and say that in the story, it's not just that the ending is predictable, but it's, it's not... For me, it's not, like, scary in the sense of, like, oh, my God, what are the larger implications? It's more just, oh, Akeley was just this insect thing. But, like, it, it's it, there's there's no dread or scope of outside Akeley as a person or his home that you really feel like the narrator should be afraid of anything. And right. in this film, it's, like, we re- it's revealed, yes, Akeley is not Akeley, but there's even more you should be afraid of. And There's worse things, yeah. Yeah, in that sequence when... You know, Wilmar sneaks back in that they invented that Wilmar sneaks back in and hooks up Akeley's brain and Akeley isn't even real. Like, he doesn't even, his oh. consciousness is like, wait, what's happening? I, I, I sent it. my legs. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, and, and the fact that he is not aware himself of what happened and that it also hints to, oh, and his son is dead too. Oh, long dead. Mm-hmm. Like, like, wait, he brought the, the you know, the thing. Wait, what? Like, mm-hmm. and it's like, and he's begging him to kill him. Like, end it. Oh yes, yeah. And he doesn't because Wilmot is ultimately a good person. Like he, he can't bring himself to kill him because mm. maybe there's a way. Maybe. And then when we see what they've been doing with, um, Akeley's body, harvesting it, mm-hmm. you're like, oh fuck. Like, yeah, that's yeah. yeah. In the story, it's basically sort of like the aha moment is like, and he was a bug the whole time, and we're like. Yes, and not to get an improv term, like what else? And in the in the movie, it's like, well, what else is these insect things? They're insidious. Like, yeah. they're, they're it's you know, it's not just that they have the capabilities of taking over human beings and simulating or or emulating human behavior. They are intending to do that in order to open a portal. So that millions of these things can come into our world and take over everything. And that's and that's a scope that's not in the story. And it's like, oh shit, there are stakes now. There's a reason that we should be concerned about Wilmarth and what he is trying to accomplish. And also, I, I, I joked about this with James when I said, I'm like, oh, you'll like this movie because they kill a kid. Um, which yeah. <laughs> is... Well, I mean, I'll be honest. The whole time I'm like, I, I was watching it and I'm like, Okay, there's only the one girl, and she's not annoying. No, she's actually helpful. She's very helpful. And then, and and she's actually funny because when he wants to, he he says, "Oh, when my when my daughter was alive, and you know, she was nervous or scared, I would sing her a song. Do you want me to sing that song to you?" Hmm. She's like, "No." <laughs> and and it's the 
and it's so well done because like, and he starts laughing like, okay, that's fine. Like, I love that. That's and and, and I love that. Even that little thing is a little character like development there. Even in such dire straits, you have a little comical thing where yeah, I don't want to listen to you sing that song. Like, I don't care. <laughs> And, I'm not that I'm not that scared little girl. Like, oh yeah, okay. No, that's you, cool. Because you, you do get the sense like she has known what's going on here for a long time. She's clued in, whereas Wilmarth is not. And right. then when they when they're trying to make the escape in the plane and he's trying to spin the propeller, she's like, no, you, you do it the other way. He's like, yeah, oh yeah, okay, yeah, makes sense. Um, and and I believe that uh, Lehman and Brainy have basically said that like including her and I. You know, also not a perfect depiction because we introduce this little girl and then kill her shortly afterwards to basically give agency to our protagonist. This is something we've complained about a few times on this podcast when it comes to adaptations. But they did want to put her in because they, they wanted the emotional scope for Wilmarth to be like, there is more to this than just him. It's more than just fear of what's going to happen to him at stake, but there's real consequences for other people and he sees that firsthand because she becomes a victim of these these migos as well but i also think it's the breaking point for him ultimately yeah. with with the ending even though he from what we see he sacrifices himself to destroy you know destroy everything but then no he's somehow been convinced like his brain has been put in a jar mm -hmm. at the end and it's kind of like a jarring, like it's well done, but it's jarring because you're like, wait, so did he, did he like almost die and then they took his brain out and then say, hey, it's either this or complete death. You know what? I'll take this. <laughs> you, you, you've convinced me. Like, or like, you know, in a, in a dark world, you start thinking, did any of this ever happen? Like, or did, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's weird. Like, it's kind of. A weird way to look at it because you're like oh did did he was he like this hero at the end or did did he just give up like halfway through it see i my interpretation of and this this is what i love that they added to this because we can have these kind of discussions that the mm -hmm. story would not would not have led to initially but right. how i saw it keeping in mind this is a a lovecraft adaptation and you know some of his best stuff hints towards or speaks to not nihilism, but the futility of certain actions, the inescapability of certain fates, that he was trying to, you know, he, he was basically on this kamikaze mission, I'm going to destroy this portal, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to sacrifice my own life to make sure these things do not accomplish what they're, what they're going to try to accomplish. However, we've already seen that they are able to enable a consciousness to go further when when the physical form is dead so his sacrifice was basically for nothing right because right. it doesn't matter if your body's dead it doesn't matter you know you know what you've done to yourself we are going to use you for how we see fit anyway and with that implication then it's like oh uh, the work that we were doing there yeah we're just going to keep going with it and this portal is going to open one way or another whether you're with us or, or whether you're against us Right. And so it's like, it's the heroic act which ultimately comes to nothing, which is like, oh my god, that's so upsetting to think about. Yeah, that's actually worse. That's like such a a letdown. And it, and it's just, and it's it's well earned because the whole time that we're with Will Marth and we see like the pictures of his wife and daughter, and you're like, in loving memory, like what happened to them? And then you find out mm -hmm. the, fe the fever took them. And then I'm like, 
oh god this is why is this relevant today <laughs> like you know what i mean it started yeah. like making me really depressed i'm like oh god the fever yeah. um and, and it's, you know? it is and it's a legit like rug pull moment because yeah. his narration has been coming in and so we're, we're assuming he's telling us this story from the other side where it's mm -hmm. like let me tell you what's happening and now that i'm through it you know, I can relay this story too. You know, th this idea of of a Lovecraft protagonist is like, I've seen all this shit. Let me tell you about it. Right. Instead, it's I've seen all of this stuff and I've gone through it all, and I'm on their side. It's like, oh, oh, that's yeah. not what I wanted to hear. Right. Like I'm telling you the error of my ways. Like yeah. you know what? I should have been with them from the start because they're right. Mm -hmm. You know, this is great. You know, I'm gonna be able to travel the universe. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh God. And like, man, I, and, and I'm thinking about this now because I just, I, my wife and I just finished today. There's a, a mini documentary series on HBO Max about Heaven's Gate, that cult from like the, well, yes. I was, I was going to say from the nineties, it's actually, they started back in the seventies actually. Yes. Yeah. Um, but in, and just this idea of these people recording these videos before that, what they called exit interviews before they committed suicide. That was this idea of like. They knew what they were getting into, and they were so joyful about it. It's like, that's yeah. fucking warped and twisted. And you basically have this here where now this consciousness is in a jar and being like, you know what? This is the best thing that's ever happened to me, and I can't wait for it all to happen to you. And it's yeah. like, oh, oh, no, this that, is horrifying. That cult, yeah, the cult mentality. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's a crazy thing to think, yeah, that's that can happen, and it has happened many, 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 many times. Like, cults... <laughs> keep on occurring you find out about all these weird cults like a uh, sex cult from like the girl that was in what smallville or something like yeah alison mack yeah next yeah yeah like, mm -hmm. what the hell you know you think he's a wait what mm -hmm. that's real yeah yeah it is jonestown like, yeah come on you mm -hmm. know drink the drink the kool-aid even though it wasn't kool-aid it was flavor aid i like to point that out every time to people it was oh, flavor geez. aid not kool-aid okay <laughs> oh, but, oh god i was also vaguely reminded of in the mouth of madness because we what we have at the end there is i mean in in the mouth of madness is a bit meta it's not really here but just this idea of our victim is watching the story that he's just been through and been like right yep this is this is just how it is now and we have here a narrator that's basically telling us the story but he's telling it from the perspective of i give i gave into it this is wonderful and and, and it just it is that moment where it's like this is this is just sheer, this is sheer madness is what this is. Um, yeah. And, and like I was kicking and screaming the whole time, but you know what? Ultimately, it's easier just to side with him. Yep. Mm -hmm. Come on. And, Don't and, do like me. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and, because, and because of that implication of like, this is going to happen anyway. We right. can't, you can't escape this. I can't escape this. So like, hey, just give into it. And like, and that's sort of that inescapable feeling that, that dread is missing from the story, which is very well constructed. But like I said, the end of the story is basically the the what's supposed to be shocking to you is the extent of the experiments that these things are capable of. Where in the film, it's the intention behind the experiment, which like that's what was missing in the story, in my opinion. Right, right, yeah, and no, I agree. Like, I mean, you got to think, you know, Lovecraft was writing from like you know, in the in the sense, a lot of times, no matter. No matter what, ultimately he was he was writing for like pulp magazines and yeah. stuff. So mm -hmm. so you had to come up with like either a twist or something like that. Like back then in 1930, 31 would be like, 
<gasps> you know, like, oh my God. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it was him the whole time. Yeah. I mean, of course, that's a trope we've all seen now <laughs> many millions of times, but for the time, even, even like you said, even critics were like, yeah, it's been done. <laughs> <laughs> that's too predictable. It's like, even back then, that was predictable. It's kind of funny to think that, you know, um, Lehman and Brammy, like, they actually thought of a cooler concept of, no, we're going to take it. That's not even the biggest reveal. Like, here's another reveal and another reveal. And ultimately, just the dark reveal of, like, like really showing all, like, the people that it affects. Like, you know, seeing, like, to me, one of the haunting shots in that ending sequence is, like, George's dead body on the side of the train tracks. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're like, oh, God, they just left him, like, rotting out there. They didn't even, you know what I mean? Like, they didn't even want to use his brain. Well, and, and it also implies that, it, you know, we've talked about this, this sort of thing of like, you know, the, the hand the hand was decided as soon as the cards were dealt. So as soon as right. Wilmarth got on that train, it was that was it for him, basically. Like, there was oh, no yeah. way he was going to escape. Oh, yeah, you knew that, too, because, like, quote-unquote, one of the, um, the one, one of the cult followers is on the train with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the, the heavy, the heavy of the group, the one that gives the creepy you know, rain speech, you know, like, like, he's like, oh, you, you shouldn't be scaring our, uh, yeah. our, you know, our guest. He's like, I shouldn't be the one be, he should be afraid of. You're like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, who says that? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like you evil piece of shit. Well, in, like, in, in just, you know, the... he seems to have joy of it too. You know, that's the other creepy thing. He seems to like want to kill that guy. Yeah. He, he's, 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 he's a very bad man. Um, yes. and, and I think that the, I mean, so that the little girl, Hannah and her father, whose name is escaping me, but th- those were inventions of the film. And, but what they help accentuate is a, a general, um, real sense of, of dread and futility, because as soon as we meet the dad, which is, you know, that's when Wilmarth comes to his house, like, Oh, Hey, I'm looking for Akeley's house. And this guy just has a look. We're like, don't fucking go to Akeley's house. You do not want to go up there. And then he comes back later and you kind of see that, like, he's this unwilling sort yes. of subservient, uh, you know, person to these creatures, and like he he's he is hopeless and convinced enough of the inescapability that he just decides like I'm going to kill myself instead. Well, and he know, he knows the ending of the story. He knew mm-hmm. like yeah, it's hopeless. Like there's no, and he even says like even if there was a way to stop them, you can't. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's such a great line. And like that actor, like what I love about his face, he looks like like someone like he, hell. He looks like. Um, like like Lon Chaney Jr.'s brother, to me. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Like he like the sunken eyes, like you know, you know, like just like sad, like 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 um Saint Bernard like kind of face where you're like, this guy has seen shit. This guy, <laughs> he's so tired and there's nothing he can do. He's he tries to protect his daughter the best he can, but he's like, I, even she knows. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna blow my brains out in front of her. I don't. I don't even care. Like, oh, and, like, and that that shot of just like her flinching and then like the blood splatter on yeah. her. Yeah. Like, wow. That I did not expect something that dark in this movie. No, and it's and you know and again that's an that's a well done scene because we don't see the the you know we don't see the gore. We see the aftermath of the gore. Mm-hmm. See the little splatter, and that's worse than. And actually, why does he do that? He he kill he blows his brains out so then they can't bring him back. Yeah. Oh man, that, that didn't that never right. even occurred to me when I was watching. Yeah. Yeah. No, it just came to me now. Like, wow, he was he was actually extra smart. He's like, you know what? I'm killing myself, and I'm making sure they can't bring me back no matter what. Like, there's no way. I'm dead. Yeah. That, I'm complete. You know, and it's, it's like he was smart about it. <laughs> yeah. No. And I'm I'm and I'm thinking now of uh of, 
you know, Goodfellas when they, you know, they, they shot Tommy in the back of the head so that they, they had to have a closed uh, casket for his funeral. Yep, and that's a real thing that they, you know, like, or, yeah, like, or they blow you away, like in Good, uh, in, um, in The Godfather, you know, Sonny. They, mm-hmm. blow, they, 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 not only do they shoot him up, they go to him and they kick him in the face repeatedly, <sighs> like, you know, and that's like, so they bruise the face. I remember a teacher in high school teaching The Godfather to us and, like, like we watch again and like the whole like actual historical stuff and when he told me that and I was just like wow that that's what they really they said yeah they would do that like just so you can have a close you know you'd have to have a close cast because that was more insulting than mm-hmm. killing your own kid like right. killing your kid is bad but now you can't even see your kid there's nothing you can do yeah wow this this conversation went to some dark places I didn't expect though <laughs> which 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 the, like you said which the movie did too it's like went to really dark places. And it's all like well earned. It's not done for, you know, shock value. It's not done for, ooh, you know, we want to get like, like the torture porn concept of like, yeah, mm-hmm. we'll give you more, you know, visceral. No, no, not at all. No, it's no, it's a it. They they made some wonderful changes to the story to make it apt for adaptation, which is is really good because that that's a a problem that some that some people have, as we talked about, where sometimes the changes are like, what, what are you doing here? And you're, you seem to be entirely missing the point of what this story is. And this one, like, no, right. it gets the point and it expands on it and somehow makes it even worse, which is something that it, it's really impressive. And it's a, like a really commendable job that they did with it. Um, yeah. And I'm also, I'm, I'm so glad because I, I, I bought both of these from um, the, you know, this and the call of Cthulhu from the historical society unfortunately neither of these titles are streaming anywhere i remember a few years back call of cthulhu was on netflix it no longer is um and i was really hoping for a call of cthulhu blu-ray but they don't have one and in retrospect it kind of makes sense because um it was i believe it was shot on like you know on early on like early grade digital and some of the effects Mm -hmm. are not rough but they were working with like a a small amount so i imagine it's one of those things if you blow it up to blu-ray it's like oh yeah i can kind of see the uh i can kind of see the strings here yeah, no, it's, I think that one works just as the DVD. Like, it's just, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, this one, this one, like, looks slick. It looks good. Um, and yet, even when you see the Migos, because there are, like, a full, a, a full, like, or a couple, I should say, a few full-on shots, it doesn't, yeah. like, you know, it, it, it looks a little bit, um, I don't want to say low-grade. It's very clearly kind of, like, CGI, but it's also, it's not bad-looking. Um, and no. I, I was even, and, you know, my... My wife was kind of popping in and out, and even that that scene at the end when they're around the portal and they're trying to summon things, and she saw the things like, oh well, that's creepy, um, which is a pretty nice comment to hear from her. Where one of the other comments when she walked in during um, Dagon, and her comment was, "Why do you like Lovecraft?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. Like my girlfriend's, and, and, like she likes a lot of like you know she ne- she never watched Dagon with me, but she watched you know From Beyond and mm-hmm. the Reanimator, well, the first Reanimator and. Some of, you know, in the mouth of dark, you know, madness and all the, you know, those ones. But sometimes she goes like, okay, like, so why do you watch all these films? if like a lot of them you like, you just don't like. (laughs) And I'm like, well, we're always searching for like that greatness, you know, something that gets it like in some way, shape or form. And like, you know, sometimes we're grasping at straws like Jim and I, like we, we watch a film that's not good, but we'll find like one or two things that well they did that well yeah mm. like you know what i mean this does a lot well like like and not only does it do, you know does it do lovecraft well it 
also it just gets like the filmmaking aspects well like of just the look the feel the music the mm-hmm. the acting so like you have all these pieces you know and it starts to make you know make you think when when people just dismiss any film in general just go uh I, that movie sucks yeah i hate that you know what i mean like you know oh because it, it wasn't your type okay that's fine but you know dismissing a movie unless you watch it and then i go okay compared to other films compared to you know this is like from a place of love you know of like the universal horror the the old like you know 50s sci-fi of course like like films like corman would have done mm-hmm. back then you know uh, uh, tying all the things together you know like it has that that feel and like especially with, with whisper in the darkness like a lot of the special features are just so like fun because showing you know scenes and like what was the most difficult scene to do you know what was this and like what i love is the one the one i watched um earlier was the the most difficult scene in the film and i believe it's the um let me see my notes real quick the <laughs> editor um um david robertson talked about how the most difficult scene was when wilmart's looking through the window and he's seeing them all have the conversation and the you know i forgot what uh, b67 yeah yeah mm-hmm. you know the you know Sean's um role when he didn't realize when you when you're doing like some sort of like you know special effect like that mm-hmm. you shouldn't move the camera yeah like back and forth <laughs> so of course when you do it it looks bad so he's like you ha- he had to go in every frame and like basically put the perfect animation over and over again. So, so of course, you know, watching it, I don't notice it because they did a good job mm-hmm. of fixing it. You know, same thing with the one thing my girlfriend joked about was like when it was raining, she's like, wow, it looks like a sunny day. <laughs> and I joked, I'm like, yeah. And then actually before she left for work, I'm watching this and that was the second hardest shot. And she's like, wait, didn't I say that? I'm like, from the bathroom, she's hearing. I'm like, yeah, you did. I'm like, and considering what it looked like before, they did a good job. She's like, well, yeah, at least they put clouds to kind of like mask it. I'm like, yeah. But they just happened to have the most beautiful sunny day when it was supposed to rain. God damn it. Yep. No, and and, shoot, and, and you know, shooting day for night and especially when it's yeah. raining is, is a difficult thing. I mean, even think of... Uh, there's a sequence in um, L.A. Confidential uh, oh, yeah. when yeah when uh, when Russell Crowe's character comes to Kim Basinger's house and it's raining outside and it, it was shot during the day but they still shot it day for night and you can still you can tell too if you really look like yeah okay yeah it wasn't it wasn't nighttime and it wasn't a rainy day was it so right. you know that that's something that even you know you have a big budget you still kind of have to you still struggle with it. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I mean, like I said, those are little things, like, considering, and I always joke, you know, on this podcast, considering the amount of films I've watched that are super Z-grade budget and (laughs) shot on video (laughs) that I love, come on. Like, sometimes when people, like, comment, like, like, oh, look at that shot. It looks, just stop. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. You you try doing it like having done a few short films in my time. I know you have too. Mm-hmm. It's it's not as easy as it looks at all. Yeah, listen, I I uh, <laughs> when I was in film school, I shot a car crash by taking a camera, running at a car, and then speeding mm-hmm. that up, 
and then nice. um, afterwards, the aftermath of her lying bloody in the street was just black and white with her face <laughs> covered in chocolate syrup. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? um, that's that's where the magic happens, you know. Yeah. In post. <laughs> yeah. She never she never forgave me for that either. Uh, no. <laughs> but no, I mean the, these guys. It, it's great. Like these guys are. They clearly know what they're doing. They clearly love the material, and there's a lot of work and care that goes into it. Um, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. And I'm also kind of wondering because it was six years in between uh, Call of Cthulhu and The Whisper in Darkness, and now it's been nine years, and we're still waiting for another one. So I'm wondering and hoping uh, if they got a, if they got another one in the works. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, what's good about the the, the you know society is like a lot of other filmmakers have made films that I still want to check out that down the line we'll have to you know discuss like like and, and they branched out to other other things so like i'm excited about it but yeah like i want i want something else like is it going to be something more epic or something more small but who knows we might talk about it one day yeah that's very true um I don't have uh, too much else to say about The Whisper in Darkness, but there was one note that mm -hmm. I took that I wanted to hit on where... Yeah. So, Lovecraft can be inadvertently hilarious in some of the things that he describes and kind of how it barely works on paper, uh, but then if you apply it to another situation, it was like, okay. Like, the, the fact that, like, of course it was Noise's voice on the recorder. How did you not know that it was Noise's voice on but, the recorder? But he, but, but he even he even reacts like the way we do of course it was him <laughs> right yeah like like he's like god damn it how was i so stupid <laughs> yeah i do appreciate that because even i'm like come on dude you're supposed to be like this really smart guy like and you know and also actually another funny thing is um the guy who plays um the smarmy like asshole professor oh yeah 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 um that's i didn't realize the whole time like why does he look so familiar why like he's so like slimy <laughs> That's uh, Stephen Bla like Blackheart, who has the greatest name ever. Oh, of course. But, but he's he's in like the Guardians of the Galaxy films. Oh, really? He's he's really good friends with James Gunn. He oh. did a lot of like when James Gunn was between projects and did these weird like short films mm -hmm. called PG porn. Okay. Like you know, this it's funny to think like if they ever like if they ever went back to show those, they'd be like, oh, let's cancel him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even though, because but but the thing is, he had real porn stars doing funny like little short films with like other actors, like Nathan Fillion and and all his friends. But <laughs> Stephen Blackheart was in a lot of these, and like he's he's in stuff. So I'm like, wow, this is okay. Like that's actually really cool. Like that he the whole time, I'm like why does he look so familiar? He sounds so. And it's funny when you look him up, it's like you know you you see all these things he's done. You're like, wow, okay, he went on to do a lot of crazy stuff, but. Even at that time, he was, you know, doing stuff with, like he he's in Tromeo and Juliet, <laughs> Stephen Blackheart. All you right. know, like he's yep. Lethal Weapon Four. You know what I mean? Actually, he's a retro puppet master. So I, I forgot about that. The, <laughs> the, the, the one with the one with uh, I think I think that's the one with Greg Sestero from The Room. So oh jeez, clashing. But um, Deadly. but yeah. So it yeah. Like what else is there to say? It, it's just a well-done film, mm -hmm. and the whole time, and, you know, that's the other thing with a film like this, like, you know, watching it for the first time, you know, quote-unquote, I was on the edge of my seat, meaning I wasn't looking at my phone, paying full attention, and, mm -hmm. like, really, like, liking every little twist and turn, and, like, when the reveals happen, I'm like, and even, like, 
one of the other things my girlfriend was listening to was the whole um, Ackley realizing his son is dead and oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and even my girlfriend going, oh my god, that's so that's actually really sad. And she'll laugh at the most dark shit. Her to say that it, to me that's a seal of approval for a Lovecraft adaptation where even she was like, oh man, that's Oh, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I feel bad for him. Oh my God, just kill the guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But the the uh, the point I was trying to make earlier was with the the, the noise thing. Like, it's kind of funny because oh, yeah. in, in the story, the only voice he's heard on on that that phonograph is like one voice talking to one of these insects' voice, and then he meets noise. He's like, oh, your voice sounds familiar. Like, well, yeah, he's literally the only other voice you fucking heard. But <laughs> in 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 the story that he also, I believe it's when he's describing one of the photographs of. The cave that they they speculate that's where the Migos live, and he describes it as you know it had like a hidden and unwholesome tendency. And so mm-hmm. I'm just like wondering like was it was there like Gorgoroth and misfit posters, but they were trying to hide them like it was <laughs> it was unwhol- it was unwholesome in that way. It just it's such a funny phrase where like okay I, I know what he, I know what he's trying to say, but like come on that's that's kind of silly the the way that he phrases it too. So yeah. um, got some cradle of filth in here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh jeez. Oh, He's got, you know, he's trying to cover up Rotten.com on his on his, on his web browser. <laughs> nice, that, that's a throwback right there. <laughs> oh God, but um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, yeah, that's that's yeah. uh that's it for the Whisper and Darkness. Like I said, it, it's not these two are not streaming anywhere, but you know, uh, su- so yeah, support a small business. Go to the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society. You can buy you can buy it from the store there. The the uh, Whisper and Darkness has both DVD and Blu-ray. If you want to buy one or the other, Call of Cthulhu, as we said, is only on dvd um and so now we get to the point of the show where we talk about what we're doing next and we've yes. been if you follow us on twitter or on facebook or have bugged some of our conversations because you're that way um you know we've been talking a lot about this big surprise that we have this big christmas gift that we're going to uh, uh, unveil to you and i i can i can now happily reveal to everyone that our very special guests and that is plural guests more than one to discuss the Call of Cthulhu will be Andrew Lehman and Sean Branny. They will both be joining us to discuss a little bit about, you know, their interest in H.P. Lovecraft, their work for the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society, their filmmaking work, and and the Call of Cthulhu. We are immensely excited and also mm-hmm. kind of nervous. Um, of course, we sure, we should be. You know, yeah. if, we, if we're nervous, then then what's the point? You know? <laughs> yeah, no, like <laughs> it, it shows that we really care. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's you know, this is something that we've we've been hoping we could achieve ever since we started this podcast, and it turned out it was a lot simpler to get it done than uh, than we thought it was. <laughs> yeah, so in, I I emailed Andrew, and he was like, "Hey, why don't I I bring on Sean at the same time?" Yeah. It's like, uh, okay, please do. <laughs> yeah, so joining us um, on the next episode to discuss the Call of Cthulhu and all things Lovecrafting will be Andrew Lehman and Sean Brandy, and it's kind of weird to think about as of as of this recording mm-hmm. it's less than 24 hours away now and i'm still just kind of like oh my god oh my god oh my god oh my god so i know i know um the <laughs> but i guess it you know at least knowing uh that if we you know if we screw it up if we get told off if we get chastised it'll be in some of the smoothest dulcet tones because andrew lehman has a wonderful voice for radio <laughs> yeah so we can we can take that so yeah super excited Next episode will be Call of Cthulhu with Andrew Lehman and Sean Brandy. I'm going to keep saying it. If you're playing along in a drinking game at home, take a shot because I mentioned their names again. But, um, yeah, in the meantime, um, 
I am uh, Nolan Fixes Teeth on Twitter. James is Fistful of Media. You can email us at um, moviesofmadness at gmail.com. Um, uh, castofcthulhu.podbean.com is where you can find our stuff directly, or you can find us wherever you find podcasts. Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, um, and uh, Amazon Music. Is that up yet? I don't know, because I know I submitted before. I don't know if it's hmm. actually working yet. But, uh, you know. Let us know. Let us know if it's, if it's not working. Yeah, well. but... um. Yeah, but otherwise, like I said, we are very excited. This is going to be our Christmas gift to you, a chock-full episode talking with um, Andrew Lehman and Sean Brainy, shot again, um, and discussing The Call of Cthulhu. So, uh, yeah, tune in. be sure to tune in for that. In the meantime, we'll be waiting and dreaming with dead Cthulhu in his house in Relia. <laughs>